Apple Presents Events at the Apple Store. All right, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome this evening's guest moderator from TVLine.com, Michael Slezak. Thanks, everyone, for coming out on this balmy day. True fanables here in the house. And uh, <laughs> momentarily, the guest of honor will be up here. But beforehand, since the season three premiere was a willless affair, we are going to queue up a little preview of this Friday's episode, which will be pretty awesome and lengthy. So I guess without further ado, let's get to it. Our minds can concoct all sorts of scenarios when we don't want to believe something. We construct fairy tales. And we accept them. Honey, what took someone from you? Are you here to take someone from him? Do you know where he is? Dancing. Hi. Good evening. Thank you for coming out today. Are we ready to geek out on Fanibal, Hannibal with these Fanibals? I am. Excellent. Maybe in a bit. <laughs> but thank you. You bought two. That's so kind. <laughs> so season two ended with your character getting literally gutted. Yeah. Uh, seeing Abigail have her throat slit in front of him. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of blood, and I'm always curious, from a practical level, what is that like? Like, how much blood are you experiencing, and for how long? Well, um, an awful lot of blood. Um, I don't think it's giving anything away to say that we revisited that scene in this season. Yes. And... Eventually, they had to rip the floor of that set up because there had been so much blood so many times that it had gone moldy. Um, no, no, it was, it, it, it's, uh, it's immense, yeah. What is that like for you as an actor? Do, can, do you compartmentalize and think, like, I'm not going to think about this, or does it help you to live in that moment? It's not upsetting. I've been covered in blood so many times on this show that um, <laughs> the, the worst that can happen is that it dries and is uncomfortable. Um, but, but that scene, filming that scene with... Um, with Abigail, <clears throat> with Casey, and with, with Maz was uh, surprise. I mean, it was, it was a long and difficult scene to shoot just technically, and it was a difficult scene to shoot 
uh, it was tough. It was grim. Grimmer than I think any, any of the other more ornate elements of the show were. Right. When you saw the episode two, season three script and realized you were revisiting that, did you have to reshoot a lot of what went down or were they able to use some of, some um, of the prior footage? Actually, I, when we got there on the day, I think this is sometimes the case that Vincenzo, uh, who was directing that episode, was like, right, now we're just gonna reshoot that bit when you watch her get her throat cut. <laughs> I was like, no, no, that's not, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's tea time. It's not, it's not throat cutting time. It, it, um, so so it, we kind of reapproached it more clinically and technically, and, and yeah, they, they used the, the other stuff which you have to build up to. They, they were able to reuse from last season. And what do you do when a scene like that is over? Have a beer. <laughs> no, that's what we did. Really? Does, yeah. ever, does everyone partake? Just me and Maz. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> well, we saw here in this trailer, we see your character saying, I forgive you, mm -hmm. which seems a little incongruous given what happened at the end of season two. And I wonder, do you want to tease a little bit about what, is that, what does that even mean? I mean, You're not a forgiving man, <laughs> obviously. Um, well, I think, um, what does it mean exactly? It, it's, it, it connects to uh, Hannibal forgiving me um, wh as he stands over me in the kitchen and he says, you know, I, I forgive you, Will. Then he cuts Abigail's throat and says, maybe you'll find peace in your, in your mind palace, and then he walks off. Uh, I think at the, you know, this season, in, in the next few episodes, I know that some of you, maybe most of you, will have seen the first episode by now. The second, third, fourth episode, it, it, it has a kind of looping, circular narrative that we, we, we go back, we move forward, we, we go back again. Um, and... Uh, I suppose what that is about um, is the, the kind of trauma of, or, or the way that trauma is experienced, right? That if you've been through a, a terrible, terrible experience, you, you do relive it, you revisit it. And, um, and I think that's what's happening to Will and everybody else. Eventually he, I don't think I'm giving anything away from, you've seen the trailer, like he sets off after Hannibal. But I don't think he's heading off to, to forgive him or to attack him or to, or to apprehend him or whatever. He's just going with his mind as a blank slate, um, almost just to, to allow himself to see what happens. And what happens in the moment there is that he discovers some kind of, some kind of forgiveness. We always see with this character, there's a little bit of this dark underbelly pulling him toward Hannibal and, and towards what Hannibal represents. <laughs> Uh, yes, that was that. Maybe that was subliminal uh, word <laughs> yeah. choice there. But is Will so far down the rabbit hole of getting into Hannibal's mind and into his life that he's that this is now really starting to appeal to him, or do you view it as he's using this olive branch because it's the only weakness Hannibal has, and that might that weakness might be the only way to catch him? No, I truly don't think he's setting out to catch Hannibal. Um, or even necessarily knows why he's setting out. But I think, I think that in, the, in being gutted and, and literally opened up and something is released from him. And, and I mean, you see the, almost the final image in the last episode of the second season is the stag lying there also kind of bleeding out. So something has been um, expunged. And so I think that when Will sets off on, on this quest, which he has, it's... Um, it's not even necessarily to, to encounter Hannibal physically, although inevitably that's going to come. It's to, 
to pursue the idea of him and maybe to discover what he is and where he comes from, literally and, and metaphorically. Um, and Will is going into that in the mind frame of wherever that takes me, it takes me, you know? And, and, um, and, and there's something, like he hasn't had that level of uh, clear-headedness up, up until now. So yeah, like I say, I think that he just, in that moment, he discovers, you know, when, I mean, you'll, you'll see it's not till next, it's not till this Thursday, right, the second episode, but as we're pursuing each other or, or following the sound of footsteps through those, those tombs, I was thinking about this today, it does kind of represent this ongoing spiraling relationship that they've had. And I think Will is just trying to cut through that and realize, okay, I'm not gonna find you. I just need to say something pure and clean and honest. And it's, it, you know, it's hard to forgive somebody when they've wronged you. It's hard to be humble like that. And that's what he's found. You mentioned uh, there's a scene in this Thursday's episode, Shot in the Tombs. This show is already a show where every scene kind of feels like art. You, know, you, could, you could freeze frame any image and maybe want to put it on your, on your wall. But Except for that scene in the, in the men's toilets in the first episode. But yeah, <laughs> maybe even that one. Actually, that came from The Shining. So. There's some beautiful... I take it back. <laughs> that was beautiful. Um, you've now... Th these, these initial season three episodes are now shot in Europe. Mm -hmm. You've got that extra artistic feel to it. When, when you're in those churches are, and in those catacombs, is that all on location or is there some wizardry like soundstage? And no, 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 not at all. I mean, we were in Europe for a week. Um, plus, I think a second unit went to Paris for a while. So some of the stuff of... Hannibal motors, you know, cycling through through Paris. They shot there, but otherwise, um, everything you just saw in that. If you see a big wide shot of one of us looking at Florence, then we shot that in Florence. Pretty much everything else is Canadian. Down, <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Down down in those catacombs, is it yeah. scary at all? Well, it was in the studio in in Mississauga outside Toronto. Okay. So so, it, n n I mean. So the I don't want to say not. no, because that kind of like takes something away from it, but no, it was not. <laughs> While you're shooting, a, a lot of what we'll see in Thursday's episode and, and a lot in this show is sort of a dreamscape. Uh, For sure, yeah. Even, even more so, I'd say, this year than, than pre previously. There's a literal bloodbath. There is, yeah. human topiary. Mm -hmm. Human topiary. Um, how much of that do you see as you're shooting? Like, I imagine the human topiary you may not see, maybe you do, but how much do you see as you're shooting and, and how hard is it to react to, I don't know if you're shooting against a green screen or if you're shooting against... Um, it's mainly in, uh, I would say, in some of the dream sequences, or whatever you want to call them, when Brian's written something completely fantastical and ultimately it has to be, I mean, I think Vincenzo who directed it was trying to use a combination of actual prosthetic uh, puppetry and so on w without describing, I know what you're talking right. about the scene, but without getting in too much and combining that with uh, CGI and, and so on. So you rely upon your director to say, look, if, I, if I'm way overselling this, because I don't quite know what I'm, if, if it's not as scary as I'm, <laughs> as I'm apparently making it seem, please tell me. And equally, if I seem a bit too casual, you know, let me know. Um, so you, you, just, you just try and do it like that. Is it pretty well written out in the script as well? When you get that script, is it, you know, Will sees yeah, 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 it is. Um, but, but, I mean, not to say that it's completely prescribed. Brian is, um, you know, generous. And, and at this point, we've all got, you know, we've all got our 10 cents to throw in. Gotcha.
Um, I put out a call for questions today on Twitter, and I was I was shocked. This was a big theme in season two with questions from readers, but again, people are asking about like the Hannibal Will romance and. <laughs> Like, when will that be explored, or what's the deal with it? Like, we're not. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess there's no, no... I think, I mean, look, it, uh, <laughs> if people want everything that, that the show engenders to be made literal, um, I think they're going to be disappointed. The show is about romance, and it is about love uh, between the two of them. Uh, I mean, profound uh, and inescapable love. Um, but are they, like, just going to finally go on a date? No. <laughs> I mean, what would that look like? <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> I mean, even, even at the end of season two, when Hannibal had this, you know, envisioned this idea of them, I don't know what, like, heading off as, um, as, as murder buddies and, 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 and taking Abigail with them on, on a kind of, I don't know what, like, they're going to go to a a nice, um, you know, family holiday resort in the Algarve and kill some people and cook them. You know, it's, it's hard to envision even what that would have looked like, let alone the more um, optimistic imaginings of... of, of but look, I get, I get it. I completely get it. What, what, we're, never, what we're not trying to do is, is be teasing or, or something. I mean, we're playing... When we, when we get these scenes from, from Brian, I mean, talk about Mads and myself. First of all, trying to understand what, beneath that kind of dense poetic, poetic writing, to kind of find what the emotional undercurrent is, because that's the key to understanding Brian's writing and doing justice to it. And then, you know, understanding like where, like what, what is the current particularly of, of the two of them in that given moment. But what we're not trying to do is like, it would be really like funny if we like gaze at each other meaningfully and that'll really kind of throw everybody watching the show. That's, that's right. not the point, you know. There, there was the quail eating scene in season two that was a little like, what's going on there? But I think that was then in the editing. There, oh, you mean the Ortolan? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, look, Brian can get naughty after the fact. Uh, he's, uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, it's, it's not... Uh, I'd, I'd sad to say I don't think it's going to happen, but there's enough fan art out there that you can... <laughs> right. Have you ever read any? Read any? Yeah. Of, you, the, fan, you mean, uh, of the fan? Uh, no, the stories or whatever it might be? I haven't, no. I haven't. You talked a little bit about the poet, po poetic quality of the scripts. Yeah. As an actor, when you're getting those scripts, now that you're in season three, do you immediately get the emotional intent of it? Do you have to sit there and sort of read it and ponder, like, where are we going? Because sometimes the, you know, it can get a little circuitous. Uh, honestly, no, I, I don't. I mean, I think the process is often that Brian writes a longer draft or, or one of the other writers or Steve Lightfoot who, who works with Brian. And then Brian will kind of strip it back and strip it back. So you'll get these scenes and each individual line is remarkable and is like a thing unto itself. And then the next, I mean, it can feel sometimes on first glance like it's just a series of non sequiturs, um, which is challenging. <laughs> and you have to, like, kind of work away at each line until you get, okay, I, th I think I get what the, putting aside the, the structure of the language, emotionally what he's getting out there, and, oh, I see how that takes me to this line. And, you know, and then you can begin to actually create a shape for the scene. With it's, an odd pro it's an odd process. It's not a way... You know, you don't often get to work like that. Yeah. It, and, and if you're, um, 
if you're interested in, in that kind of heightened, as opposed to something naturalistic and kitchen sinky, you know, th this is as good as it gets, I think. Yeah. With Will sort of in pursuit now of Hannibal for, for whatever purpose, we're missing those sort of fireside chats in that awesome apartment. Do you miss that aspect of, of just being able to sit there across from another actor and, and get into it with those sort of lengthy monologues or, or back yeah, and forth? Yeah, I do, I do actually. Um, but, but the show, I mean, Will and Hannibal are such that they both have quite <laughs> fertile imaginations. Um, a bit like the fans you were just mentioning. <laughs> and, uh, and, and so as a result, I mean, it's, it, it's perfectly possible, as you will see, um, as the season progresses, for them to be in the same space, at least within a kind of mental space. So there was, you know, even though we're not geographically and literally together, I did still get a bit of, you know, get to a couple of scenes with Maz. You were not the only character gutted at the end of season two. No. Um, what can you tease about the fate of everyone else who was left in a bloody bloodbath? Um... Y y you will eventually discover what happened. <laughs> That's the best I can offer. <laughs> I hear you. Some things you just don't want to give away. Yeah, yeah. And it's not like, it's not like somebody just didn't come back because there was a contract problem. You right. know, it, it's all part of Brian's very rich and layered writing. And as always, he will, he's playing with you, and, but it, it becomes clear. Okay. Um, do you ever find yourself shocked by the fact that you're in season three on a That's network show. Totally unbelievable, yeah. I mean, our, our yeah. season premiere had, uh, you know, snails feasting on a person who was going to then be feasting on the snails, and it's sort of like... Yeah, it's not like a genre on network TV. Right. Um, yeah, I think it's amazing. I mean, and I think a big part of the reason is, um, without meaning to pander, but is the support of the you know people that are here and, and other folk like you who have, you know, been with the show and stuck with it from the beginning and being so involved in it. That's been very important. And obviously having... A, a, a strong critical response and, and so on. Um, yeah, I mean, and the three people that actually watch it when it airs, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, it is a show also that has some of the most delicious looking food yeah. and, and food prep ever. It's basically food porn in a lot of scenes. Uh, does that ever make its way to like the craft services table? Do you guys ever partake? I did, I was uh, on set towards the end of the season and Mads, and Mads and Lawrence were shooting a scene. I don't know why I was there, but Janice, who, who prepares all the food, said, oh, Hugh, I have some frog's legs. And I, would you like one? And I said, yeah, I would actually. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I haven't had frog's eggs. So we all had some frog's eggs. And I said, well, Janice, I'm sorry that we're eating the food that you're going to be using for the scene. And she said, oh, no, no, I just cooked some frog's legs. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, the, it's, a, it's a foodie environment. If you're on a show where somebody just happens to cook frog's legs for people, then it's, it's an unusual situation. You might as well roll with it. Yeah, yeah you go with it. Um, did, did, it, did watching the show at all, especially the first two seasons, affect your appetite or your craving for sort of intricate looking food? I have always been quite an adventurous eater and a carnivore. Um, so, uh, I, I mean, I'm of the the bracket of people that is made more hungry by the show. Excellent. It's, I think it's also one of the funniest shows on TV when it wants to be. Um, there's a... a, a <laughs> Sorry, all those comedies. <laughs> it is yeah. funnier than a lot of network comedies, um, come to think of it. But there, there's, there's a great, like, Lucy and Charlie Brown line yeah. 
in episode two. What's it like when you're when you're going through the script and you find one of these little? Oh, it's great. Gems? I mean, for, particularly for me because. I mean, my, my line is that I actually think Will is quite funny. He's just having a really, really unfunny time in his life. <laughs> but but, but every, every so often you see like some Brian's, some, some element of Brian's humor or cultural reference, like the, I know the one that you're referring to will pop up. Um, and, uh, and, and like I was in the first episode of the, f of the first season when he's kind of having a bit of a meltdown and Jack's, and he's in, the, in that back in the, uh, in the bathroom, the men's bathroom, and Jack storms in and says, what are you doing in here? And he says, I like the smell of urinal cake. <laughs> I, and I also thought that was, so, where the hell did that come from? But it, it, yeah, I get one or two. We also have Bedelia du Maurier now on this European vacation yeah, as much. well. Um, is your character going to connect or interact with her at all. We, we, we've seen them have brief glimpses of whispered things in the psych hospital yeah. and whatnot. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but but, in, in, but uh, throughout this, the, the season, in fact. Um, somewhat in the first half, as I think people know, in the second half we get into Red Dragon. Yes. Bedelia is still a factor in that part of the season and I will interact with her then. If you had to tease it in five words, what that interaction is like, or give five words that might tease it. Who's therapizing who? That's three words. That's, that's, those are three good yeah, words. Though. I owe you two words. We know you're getting a time jump midway through the season. Yeah. And, and exploring some scary... Is therapizing a word? What is the word? <laughs> you see? <laughs> <laughs> Who's providing therapy to whom? Yeah, counseling. No, it's not so good, though. It's analyzing. That's it. Yeah. There you go. Thank you. Um, how scared should we be prepared to get in, in that second half? Is there, is there a character as scary or possibly scarier than Hannibal as, as far as you're I think Dolahide is, is terrifying. Um, I mean, as a, as a creation, like if you read that book, as I'm sure some of you have, he's, he's a terrifying character. And, and what he lends himself to so much is what Brian has created in the, you know, in the first two seasons, which is that visual poetry and that visual imagery. I mean, that's where Dolahide lives. He's living with a dragon, you know, on his back um, and in his head. Uh, so I think that we get to explore that very fully. The other thing about Dolahide, though, which I just don't think you can necessarily get to the heart of this if you don't have the amount of time that we had. Uh, in other words, in a, in a movie format, is the, is the kind of weirdly appealing quality to him, which is the part of him that's trying to stop and the part of him that you feel sympathy for and the part that Will kind of realizes is still alive and could potentially be reached, you know, so there's that too. This is probably not as, as beautiful a dreamscape as, as some of Hannibal's murders. How, how do you handle that in the context of a network show? Uh, you mean Dollarhides? Yeah. Um, well, there's still something very um, ritualistic about it. Um, I would say that probably our depiction of it is a, is a little bit more elevated than it would have sounded in the books. But even in the books, um, mirrors, so on and so forth, there's a lot of very visual stuff there. Um, and, and obviously the Blake, you know, the Blake obsession. Is, is very rich and, and is mined to a large degree in, in the second half of the show. We're also seeing your character somewhat be reinvented 
as a family man in, in the second half of this season. <laughs> Maybe not quite as, as golly gee as, as yeah. the sound, but uh, what has that been like, you know, exploring a, a fairly different aspect of, of this tortured person we've seen for, for all this time? Well, it's difficult because, I mean, it's a three-year time jump, and obviously what will happen is that it'll, that three years will take place between one Thursday and the next Thursday, and then there you are, and, and um, I'm married. Uh, and it... <laughs> Um, it's like Vegas or something happened, uh, but but you, you know, uh, luckily, I mean, I mean, luckily for me and luckily for everybody on the show, uh, Molly was played by uh, an actress called Nina Arianda, who I know and have worked with on Broadway, and is a good friend of mine, and that was incredibly valuable because we, you know, we 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 were already at several stages down the line, you know. Um, and we were able to have that conversation about who are these two people. We don't, you don't have a lot of time to show it. I mean, pretty much, I get sucked back in almost immediately. <laughs> so, I, and I would have loved, I mean, in a different, you know, if we had all the time in the world and you could have a three episode arc of just understanding what Will's life was there, but it's not, it's more like a few scenes. So, Nina and I had talked about that and they're not, they're not newlyweds, they're not young lovers, they're both damaged people who've discovered each other and are kind of holding each other, you know. Excellent. Speaking of jumping right in, we do have a clip. We do have a clip, I am yeah. told that, that the, the, uh, the trailer was not all you're getting, so do you want to queue up what we're going uh, to see? Well, this will, this will take place, uh, you'll see this early on in, in uh, this Thursday's episode, in the second episode. Uh, this gives you a sense of what I was talking about, the, 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 the kind of the circularity of the, the way we dip backwards and forwards in time in this first few episodes. gone from this life, I would always have this place. In your memory palace? My palace is vast, even by medieval standards. The foyer is the Norman Chapel in Palermo. Severe and beautiful and timeless, with a single reminder of mortality. A skull, graven in the floor.
That's pretty nifty. So we can just go anywhere now, you know. <laughs> Did that look like what you thought it would look like when you got the script and when you were shooting it? I'm always curious, like... Uh, I mean, I guess to a certain extent, um, because in order to kind of make sure you're basically... Like, it reads, it makes sense when you watch it now, but obviously you're filming it totally out of order and half of it isn't there or you're in one set and the other. So I was in close conversation with Vincenzo, again, trying to make sure I was doing the right thing. Uh, it's, still, it's still amazing to watch it, how it comes together and, and what Brian has imagined. Like, how has Brian imagined that in his head before he sees that? I can imagine it now, I've seen it, but I just don't know how he does it, you know, from scratch. Do you watch one episode at a time or do you, do you binge? <laughs> uh, I, I tend to, I, I guess I binge in the sense because I don't watch them while they're airing necessarily. Um, yeah. To, truth be told, I still have some from season two to watch. <laughs> you do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but that's, but that, I mean, yeah. It happens. It, it happens because I started watching when we started filming season three and then we got into that and it was, I was in season two anyway, <laughs> you know. Right. So, so I, put, I kind of called a halt and now I need to catch up. Does it affect your process at all to, to watch that and you just need to put it aside, something that happened previously? It wasn't or? that, it was more just being busy. Gotcha. Yeah. And when we're talking, we were talking a little bit about the shift in character in the, in the second half of season three. Do you do anything differently in terms of physicality, in terms of how you dress, in terms of how you prepare to get in touch with a, with a new chapter in this character's life? I mean, how, yeah, how, how a dress, sure. I don't think that... Um that he's carrying himself differently exactly, but, but, uh, but, but yeah, you try and demarcate that as much as possible. Uh, I mean, the, my costume, you know, actually in this season, I think Mads' costumes change a bit more frequently, mine, mine too, but uh, there's only so much, so much leeway there. And do we still have dogs in the mix? Yeah, actually. People Not for a while. You know, getting, taking dogs around Europe is really difficult. Oh. <laughs> but then they come back, yeah! <laughs> People love the dogs. Yeah, yeah apparently. <laughs> Hi. Hi. <laughs> so last year I was here too, um, and I asked if Will could forgive Hannibal for putting him in jail and giving him encephalitis. But I didn't realize it would be an annual question. <laughs> um, but I think we covered that. So I guess my question is, we kind of see them missing each other. So in season one, Will thinks Hannibal's his friend and Hannibal's lying to him. And in season two, Hannibal thinks Will's gonna run away with him and Will is lying to him. And then there's this internal conflict between them. So are they ever gonna same page like this season? Is the conflict gonna come externally and like push them together instead of pushing them apart for a second. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think in a way that they, they meet each other um, at a certain point in this season and like the, the, the scales have been lifted from their, from their eyes, both of them, and they're, they're, particularly for Will, because it's, even though Hannibal has been, and he says at the end of season two, right, I, I showed you, I let you see me. And he, for probably the first time ever, has done that and made himself vulnerable as a result. But it's one thing to see Hannibal in the present. It's another thing to understand him. And wh what Will's trying to do in this season is be ready to meet Hannibal, not only knowing who he is, but maybe understanding what he is. Um, so, so yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say that it works out well, <laughs> but, but yeah. Hi. Hi. My favorite show and your performance is a huge part of it. So thank you. Thank you. Um, 
one of the things that the show does really well is throw in definitely imagery, but also just sort of themes and, and, and things that, that are clearly pregnant with meaning, but, um, but without making them totally explicit. Um, in, in addition to, of course, being explicit in meaningful ways about other things, so it, it balances out. But, and usually I love that. Um, I always love it. But one thing I've just been really curious about, um, when you kill Jar Jarrett, Ga Garrett, Garrett Jacob Hobbs yeah. in, in the first season, he looks at you and says, see, and that's something that comes back. But what, what does that mean? <laughs> and that's why you've continued to watch the show. Yes. But if I tell you, <laughs> then you'll start watching the answer. show. Um, well, I, I think that's a good question. I think um, there's something about, uh, about Garrett Jacob Hobbs uh, having, uh, you know, he's lived, like, like Hannibal in a way, uh, a, 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 a totally hidden life. Except unlike Hannibal's inner life is his real life, you know, and he's, he's hiding in plain sight. Garrett Jacob Hobbs is really disguised as this family man, you know, as a father. And a, um, but underneath, obviously not far underneath, there's this swirling black mass, you know. And I think that in part that's, that's what continues to play out, the fact that, that that's true for Will. And it's maybe that in that moment of connection between Will and Garrett, Jacob Hobbs, that there is, a, 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 again, a mutual recognition, as the show is often about mutual recognition, right? But, but I mean, that's not to say that it means that every time it comes up. When, when, when I'm, when I, when Will is shot at, in the season finale of the first season in the same kitchen, and I say to Jack, you see, you see, it's obviously I'm trying to communicate something about Hannibal. Um, so, yeah. I don't know if that helps, but, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hi. Hi. I was fortunate enough to come to the set last year. I don't know if you remember, but thank you again for that. Um, qu my question is, Will was always like psychologically damaged, and then as last season went on and on, he became stronger and stronger and more confident, and then at the end he got gutted. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so when this starts out again, is this going to be a setback for the character as far as uh, that he's psychologically torn again, or is he just going to become more confident and fierce, you know, to go after Hannibal? I mean, will there be kind of a build-up again that he has to get, go through, or is he all... I, I think that, I mean, the first thing is that, um, although, yes, it's true in a sense, Will became stronger in the second half of the season, um, and, and less passive, uh, it's also true that he was basically just doing psychic damage to himself um, in the pursuit of whatever it was. He, he was he was bifurcating his personality and and doing terrible things, um, so that when Hannibal guts him in the kitchen, I always felt like, even though okay, it's in one sense it's yeah it's awful. He just got his stomach cut open and. Yeah. Um, it, it, for me, that, that was a thing to lead towards because it was also an embrace, obviously, um, a kind of connection between them, like, like a you know, consummation of a sort. And, um, and it was also a release, right? I mean, I really do think that in cut, cut, he cut something out of him and, he, and, and it was in part, it was that, that thing, that, um, 
you know, the, the stag, the thing that Will had allowed himself to be. So, so I actually think he's doing all right. <laughs> the beginning of season three, in a sense, he's kind of cleaner and clearer than he has been for a while. In answer to the second part of your question, like, I, I regretfully have to come to the conclusion now that it's never going to end up that well for Will. Like, um, but, but he's at least going into it with a clearer mind. Given the obsessive nature of both the show and the fans, I'd like to ask you a little bit about some of the other aspects of your career because you've done Broadway, you've done a lot of interesting independent films. Do you like doing those in, in light of the heaviness of this show and the complex uh, world you're living here to get away from it from time to time and do all this other stuff? Is that help motivate you? Uh, you know, I haven't really worked on much else other than Hannibal since it started. I mean, I did in between the second and third seasons go and do something which was with um, Michael Reimer, who's one of our directors. He was going off to Australia to make a show um, about, it's called uh, Deadline Gallipoli. And it says, for, you've seen it? I don't think you should say that out loud because I'm pretty sure you, you, that was, you shouldn't have done that. Um, but, uh, but good. Um, but, but uh, you know, he said, and it was just at the end of season two, he, he shot the penultimate episode of season two, and it was already getting pretty dark and murky, and he's like, oh, come, come do this thing with me on Australia, like, it'll be a, a lovely break. And I was really, I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, no, that sounds good, I'll do that. And then I read there, was, and it was just, it's the first world war, it's awful. <laughs> you know? um, but, yeah, I like variety. I like, uh, I think it's natural, particularly anybody, any show, any show that lasts for more than one season, you're, however much variety there is within that show, it's the same kind of tone. So I'll be glad to find something else along the line, but that doesn't mean to say I don't want to come back and continue doing this. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just wondering, in the premiere, uh, the finale, I'm sorry, of season two, he says to Hannibal, you were supposed to leave. Do you think that he actually wanted Hannibal to get away? Or do you think that there was a part of him that really wanted him to stay? Or do you think that he wanted to betray him all along and have him caught? I think that there were two uh, kind of alternate outcomes that he was containing within himself all the way through. One of which was that Hannibal would leave and he would leave with Hannibal. Uh, and the other one was, that, which obviously was what Hannibal wanted, the other one was Jack's plan, which was that Hannibal would just be apprehended and locked away and that would be that. And neither of those outcomes actually would have worked out very well for Will. You know, um, he, neither one would have been fully satisfying. So he was just, it's like the two halves of, he had, that's what I mean, he had split himself down the middle and he was just kind of trying not to look. <laughs> um, and when it came down to it, his only, his only kind of, uh, he took the gamble that, that he, would, he calls Hannibal in the hope that Hannibal will leave um, before the bloodshed occurs. And I think that's what he meant. Like, you were meant to leave. I called you and I told you that they were onto you and you were meant to go and this was not meant to happen. It was not meant to be this bloodbath. Hey. Hi. Uh, <clears throat> how much of Edward Norton's Will Graham did you access for this role? Um, I, I have seen the movie. Uh, a long time ago, um, but not not recently enough that I could say I was channeling any of it. Um, because truthfully, I, I mean, this is there's no reflection on the film. I just I don't remember it that well. And by the time by the time we got to filming, I was immersed in the book of Red Dragon very much, and Brian's. Uh, you know everything that Brian had taken from that, and 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 that's really where that was the world I was working in. 
Um, and, 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 and then, you know, and, and then in conversation with David Slade, in conversation with Maz, I mean, just working with Maz and discovering it all. So very rapidly, you're just into your own, your own thing. And uh, I mean, look, it's, it, if, if Edward Norton is in any way hanging or whoever, or Will Peterson hanging over me, there's obviously Maz has that like times 10. <laughs> But, but, um, but I think that within like a couple of hours, you're just trying to get the scene right. You know, you're just trying to adhere to the, the internal logic or the rules that you've figured out for your performance in the show and everything else just goes out the window. Hi. Hi. Um, so earlier you were talking about, you know, that personal satisfaction with reading through these very literary lines and, you know, sort of peeling back all of that wonderful metaphor and finding the true raw emotion. And I guess I was just wondering because one of the things I love about the show is the most, to me, the most energetic and exciting moments are those moments where, you know, Will and Hannibal are sitting in what seems very passive and they're having, you know, this very combative moment of the minds. And so I just wondered is like, do you feel that on set? Like how does that energy translate you know, after your own personal satisfaction of knowing like, oh, well, this sounds like a metaphor, but there's really, you know, giant subtext underneath here. Like, do you feel that between the two of you when you're, you know, tossing your lines back and forth and when you're falling into the scene, is that something that's become natural or does it still, you know, excite you in a way? It's, it's fun because I think that what you're looking for is a, is a shape um, uh, within the scene. I mean, just to make it satisfying to watch, you're looking to give it some shape. Some of that you've maybe planned out in your mind as you've read it before, you, you, know, you know, and then it's going to change according to what the other person is doing. <clears throat> but also, um, you know, it's, they're, they're, it's so heightened that you want to do justice to that, to the poetry of it, but you want to give it some kind of grounding in, you know, psychological realism. So, and the only way for me to do that anyway is sitting opposite Mads is to, we, we often will... Uh, just run the scene two, three times without cutting, which we can do now because we're not using film. And, and, and you get to, you know, find things in the moment, right, um, that give it texture. Uh, and that's, that's really fun. That's really fun because uh, you're, you're knocking something back and forth, you're, you're reacting, you're, you're throwing something out, and it, it is like a little bit like a tennis match or at least a ping pong, <laughs> game of ping pong maybe. Um, and uh, you know, with a with an amazing scene partner, so that's uh, I, I love that. That's always been the, the the that's the underpinning of the show for me and my experience of the show. And uh, uh, I I hope we get to do more of it. Well, brilliant! I think that brings our uh, event so. to an end. Yeah. Thank you so much for all coming out today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Good night.